when you design your story, you need to have in mind, I'm not telling my story. I'm telling the audience's journey of their story. And so if you tell it in the right way, what will happen is the audience will hear you. They'll hear your story, but then they'll start making unconscious connections in their mind and go, oh, that's how I've felt as well. And they'll they'll go, oh my gosh, I've been through similar stuff like that. Oh my gosh, that person's exactly like me. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 966. We're chatting today with Colin Boyd, an Aussie in America. Hello. (laughs) Hey, James. Hey, mate. Great to be here. And congrats on that number on your podcast. Not many people have hit those numbers. So, dude, we're at about 133 and I feel like I'm doing well. So going well, let's keep at it. That's all (laughs) consistent effort. I mean, for me, that's been my platform. It's been the Mm. the sort of the core background engine to my online business. I know you've been specializing in a different world. So I want to talk about that in particular. uh, I think you rose through your career as a corporate trainer Mm. and you ended up doing some life coaching stuff and then you're helping people sell from stage and mm. from virtual stages, you know, which we'd call the webinar, I suppose, in our mm. street talk. You're helping people convert more stuff via those platforms in your current iteration of business. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And that for me, I remember I was sitting in a mastermind and I don't know if people have had experiences like this before. You're in a program and I was doing a certain thing. In fact, I was teaching productivity at the time. And one thing that I'd always done my whole life was I was obsessed with speaking. And my first speaking gig was the thing that kicked off my entire career as a coach. This was 13 years ago. And I was sitting in a mastermind and one of the attendees, she's running a multi-million dollar online business. She comes up to me and she goes, Colin, I don't want to learn how to be more productive from you. And I was like, okay. And she goes, I want to learn how to sell from stage from you. And she was like, the way you speak and communicate, I want to learn that. And it was like, I wasn't aware of the gifts that I'd been given and I wasn't aware of the things that I'd been working on and that were most attractive to other people. And then that was about four and a half years ago. And so that started my journey of actually saying to the world, hey, I actually teach people to speak and sell from a stage. And so that's been the evolutionary journey of of that. When I first saw you, I think it was on Instagram and you were doing those little dancing stories and I thought I need to find out from Colin how to do those because he's (laughs) he's obviously got the moves oh dude those stories um they're the bane of my existence I (laughs) that's I've I've honestly got to blame my wife for that because she's the marketing genius behind a lot of the uh dancing stuff and (laughs) and all the trending things so yeah well I don't I don't really want to learn that actually it's not not my thing but (laughs) It's not your thing, no. It's not for everyone. My wife's more instrumental in in other things, like organizing my books into pretty colors and stuff, which is cool. Nice. I was going to say they look good. They do look amazing. I get a lot of for um, like, oh, they should be organized by alphabetical or whatever. But interestingly enough, I can find a book very quickly because I remember what color it is. I've got a good memory and the visual <laughs> part of it's very easy to use. So you've gone through this process where you just got good at selling from stage. You got good at selling from virtual stage. Of course, during the pandemic, virtual stage would have become more and more important. I would say it's a form of productivity if you can find the leverage in turning up to one place and then being able to be viewed by many, many people at once. In some cases, you've helped people who have very large audiences. I know you've been 
at least behind the scenes. I don't know if you're publicly acknowledged for it, but you've definitely been instrumental in helping some of the biggest names online with putting together their presentations that sell. And that's what I really want to find out today. On behalf of my clients who are doing webinars, firstly, the big question, are webinars still useful in 2022? I mean, for me, a webinar is a really nice kind of entry point for people to connect with audience in a leveraged way. And I think webinars can change and evolve as you go through. Like it doesn't have to be the classic webinar where you're doing slides and you're just presenting ideas, never engaging with the audience and then try to pitch at the end. Like a webinar could be like a mastermind style session where you're in um, like a Zoom meeting and you're actually seeing people's faces. Like there's so many different mechanisms that you can use for it. But for me, a webinar is cheap in terms of to set up it's something that is easy to set up. So it's, it doesn't have too many moving pieces compared to some of the more complex launches. And it's a great way to just build rapport with people fairly quickly. And you can make an offer, usually sub $2,000 in an hour. And you can get people to, if they're the right fit and they resonate with you, people to join a, a program under $2,000. If it's over 2000 it usually goes to a call or something like that. That's been my experience. Nice little filter. And my experience was in 2009, I was selling $4,500 event tickets via live webinars, which I never called them webinars back then. People didn't know what a webinar was. Mm. In some cases, I would call it online training or free online training or free training or a live event. So what we've established here is that from our home or our studio, wherever we want to be, we can actually reach a whole bunch of people and in a short time make an offer and be rewarded for it. But I imagine there's a huge, vast difference between someone sitting there thinking, oh, wow, I've got this session coming up. What should I do on this session? A big difference in the outputs, like what they actually create, how they go about their process, if they have a process, and if they get results or not. Plenty of people I know have gone out there, copied um, industry famous Mm. webinar blueprint of whatever type is out there. I'm sure there's plenty. So I'm not singling one in particular. But I imagine they go and cut and paste a template, put in their own words and pictures, run it, or even probably worse, automate it, and then get no results. Totally. That's a common outcome for people. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like I think there's different levels of running webinars. And usually when someone starts off, I know for me, when I started off, you know, I kind of just learned a general formula. I'd studied some people, learned some general structures and stuff like that. And I just followed a formula. And I think that's really great place to start. And then as you start to feel more comfortable with your own content and really start to understand your audience, then you can add even more of your personality, more of your own style in it. So I just think, I think formulas and structures, I mean, I know you probably share with, obviously share with a lot of your clients, a lot of structures, formulas, processes, and it just gets results faster. So I don't think it's bad that someone would, you know, follow a, a generalized structure, but I do think that if you know how to create content that actually converts as opposed to the mistake that most people make with their webinars is they look at their course or their program and they just take the best bits from their course or their program and they put it in their webinar and then they do a pitch on the end if they want to make an offer and they, they usually get some nice comments like people will say, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Thanks. So helpful. And then they'll get no clients. So they'll get nice comments, no clients. And um, that's because a lot of the time they overteach and overwhelm people on their webinars because there's this internal desire of wanting to help 
So it comes from this like really positive place. Like they want to help people. But a lot of the time we like people get too much into the how to content and it actually just overwhelms the audience and puts them in a place of procrastination. Essentially, they, they kind of get stuck in their own stuff. I love this. I want to reinforce that. There's some keywords you said there. This happens all the time that people will say, oh, I've got a presentation to do or whatever. How should I pitch at the end? And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's where they're going wrong in the first place. You can pick the spot in most presentations where someone goes from the happy, comfortable, talking about their content to the, it's like they flick a switch and they go into stuttering, evil, dirty, filthy sales mode where they're now doing their ugly pitch that they don't feel good about or believe. And I think that's Mm. one of the big mistakes they'd be making. Mm. I like that you said they're doing this with good intentions to help people with Mm. their helpful stuff. I would say it's a rookie error that just about everybody does is put way too much mm-hmm. into a presentation. I remember the first time I sold from stage, I delivered pretty much an encyclopedia and <laughs> I made one sale and the lady, her name was Sally, she came up to me at the end. She went to the back of the room and purchased the program and I think it was, it was $2,000, yeah. $2,000 or $3,000 and I got half of that from the program. I was like, oh my God, I just made like 1000 or $1,500 in 90 minutes. She says, I don't understand a word you said, but you seem really trustworthy. Mm. <laughs> like, well, there you go. There's, there's one tick. <laughs> okay, so yeah, what we're talking about here is you might often get great comments, a standing ovation, but no sales, and you're possibly teaching too much and just confusing people. I really think it'd be worth having a chat about what we should be doing instead. Mm. And I know you're famous for your way of using stories to sell in webinars. And I want to ask you about a piece of content I saw. I was minding my own business on Instagram, probably looking at surfing stuff or whatever. And I saw your beautiful head of hair pop up in my feed. And you were talking about how there's a wrong way of doing webinars and a right way. And that most people do this wrong way where they're filming in on the gaps. But I think they were sort of making themselves the hero and stuff. And they they got Mm. confused when they're talking about hero's journey. And then mm. there's a right way to, to actually use stories to actually make conversions. And I'll definitely link off to where people can learn about this. I'll put it at jamesshramco.com forward slash story formula. That's where Colin has his training on this. But if you could just introduce us to this mm. revelation you had about the wrong way mm. and the right way. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty new revelation that I had probably the last you know six or seven months recently was that... A lot of the time, most people in the expert industry or entrepreneurs, we usually understand that when we get up to speak or share on a webinar, we should tell our story. And so we tell our story. And first of all, that's one of the problems. I'll start there. (laughs) And so we tell our story and that story is usually our origin story. So we talk about, you know, where we're from, how many kids we've got, maybe where we went to college or didn't go to college. I hate that slide. Like, here's me, here's my wife, here's my kids, here's my house. This is in the first few minutes of a webinar. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care about. No one cares. I mean, no offense. You seem like a nice guy, but, and I don't do it in podcasts either. I don't burden the audience with um, the laziest question I hear in a podcast for a guest is so, so Colin, for those of us who don't know anything about you and me neither because I've done no research, do you mind just telling us, a, sharing with us a bit about your backstory, right? <laughs> I hate that question. It's so lazy. Uh. I know, exactly. And so you tell this, what most people do is they tell the wrong story. So they tell this story of exactly what you said. It's, you know, where they grew up, how many kids they got, how many dogs and pets they've got. 
And the only person who really cares about that is is their mum, yes. which is nice. Yeah, that's nice. But but their mum's probably not going to buy their program. My right? mum listens <laughs> to this podcast. A big shout out to Vicky. Yeah, shout out to Vic. Shout out to Vicky. And she gives me good commentary on whether the guests uh, seem like good people or they had good information or whatever. So you're on. <laughs> just be on notice, Colin. Send me a text about how I go. I will. I'll give you. I'll give you the Vicky review. So good. Thanks, Vicky. Um, so so we, we tell this story, right? And because we've been told we need to tell our story so that the audience sees that we're credible. And a lot of the time people want to tell their story of like, hey, you know, and then this is why I'm an expert in this area. This is why I'm good at it. And we also want to create a little bit of connection. Now, the problem is, is that the origin story, all it does is tell a story about you that no one cares about that. Yes, it could create a little bit of connection, but especially in Australia, I mean, I live in the US now, so it's okay to talk about yourself a little bit more in the US. But in Australia, like, you know, if you talk too much about yourself, people are just like, oh, mate, just get over it. Like, you know, stop talking about yourself. Yeah, it's like he's full of himself. (laughs) He's full of himself, exactly. Check out this character. He's so full of himself. <laughs> so good. So good. I've had to lean a little bit more towards that in the US, but it's like I've still got some Aussie in me. <laughs> so this origin story is about you and the conversion story is actually about them. And so the, the big shift that people need to make is that when they design their story that they share at the start, and by the way, you can share this on a webinar, you can share this on a live presentation, you can do this on your Instagram stories, you could share it anywhere, right? When you design your story, you need to have in mind, I'm not telling my story. I'm telling the audience's journey of their story. And so if you tell it in the right way, what will happen is the audience will hear you, they'll hear your story. But then they'll start making unconscious connections in their mind and go, oh, that's how I've felt as well. And they'll they'll go, oh, my gosh, I've been through similar stuff like that. Oh, my gosh, that person's exactly like me. Now, obviously, they may not look like you, may not be the same culture, may not be the same age, the same sex or anything like that. But the thing that they connect with is the emotion of the struggle. And so in your story, in your conversion story, you have to bring out that emotion, that struggle that you went through in your journey. And first of all, because there's three questions that you have to answer with your conversion story. The first question is, are you like me? So when you're telling your story, the first frame I think about is I go, how do I tell this story in a way where the audience goes, wow, this person's like me, right? On some level. The second one is you answer the question of, can they lead me? And so you share your story in a way where you show that you've actually seen some results, some breakthroughs. And, but the final piece that most people get it wrong, which is what makes a conversion story is, is there a path that I can follow? And so in your story, you actually build your story around a transformational experience that you had that epitomizes the pathway that you can help people with. Nice. So are you like me? Can they lead me? Is there a path that I can follow? It sounds to me like you are telling the story of where you're the guide in a way. Mm. Yeah. And it's like you have to walk this fine line because you are telling your story, but if you tell it the right way, you're telling their story. Can I share my story? Would that be helpful? For the audience, look. I think we'll skip that, and of course, you can tell the <laughs> <a> story. <laughs> what a tease! Yeah, because I, 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 I do have a question that I want to at least park, yeah. and that I'll come back to that. So let's 
hear your story. So far in this adventure, we've <laughs> learned that you were a trainer, that you did some life coaching, mm. you've found your way online, you've gone to America. So we know this about Colin mm. and that he does dancing story videos and he's <laughs> coached a whole bunch of people online. If we actually look at the checklist here, I did the certificate for workplace assessment training as well. Like That's like a train the trainer training in Australia. Yes. And it's a government recognized thing. I learned a lot about gap analysis and being able to coach people from that training. I also went online. I've also visited America, but I don't live there. We know that Colin is a good leader because he's coaching the, the leaders that we would know their names, mm. their household names in the online space. Mm. Is there a path that I can follow? Yeah, we've already mentioned the link, jamesramco.com <laughs> forward slash story formula. So I think we're hitting the main key points here almost by accident. But Colin, tell me that story. <laughs> that story. And we'll score it. We'll score the story against your criteria. Well, let's start. So I was sitting at my desk. I was actually in Southern Sydney at the time this old brown desk with my PC on my desk. I had, oh, let's call it two and a half legs on my desk because I, I picked it up from one of those 99 cent stores and it had missing legs and I had the phone books holding them up. And I'm in this space where I'm trying to run my business. I was a life coach at the time and I had this big desire of making a difference. Like I genuinely wanted to help people. I felt like I had some processes, some things that could actually make a difference in people's lives. And I was excited about what I could do. But the problem was, is that I had no clients. And so I'm looking at my computer with nothing on my calendar. And in fact, I had half, let's call it half a client. I had this guy who I would coach every other month. He would pay me like every other, other month. And so we, we, it was, we'll call it half a client. So I had this big desire to make a difference, but I had no idea how to get clients at the time. And what happened was my landline called and I picked up the landline. I said, hello, it was a buddy. I'm one of my friends from one of the programs I was in. And he said, hey, I've got a speaking engagement coming up. And he said, I can't do it. And in fact, I've been referred to it by another person. He couldn't do it. And it's a completely free speaking engagement. Do you want to do it? So obviously it's a very hot lead. Like no one wants it, right? And I said, cool, I'd love to do it. It was my first free speaking engagement. And I remember heading into it the night of it. It was in Sydney, walking up the stairs. And it was like literally a dark and stormy night. I was so nervous, so overwhelmed. And my wife's on my arm and felt like I was on her arm because I'm freaking out so hard. The event organizer comes running to me and he's like, Colin, you wouldn't believe this. Biggest night we've ever had. We've got 137 people coming tonight and this is the biggest we've ever had. For me, this is bad news because in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to look like an idiot in front of more people because I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel ready. I looked like I was about 12 years old at the time. And I just, I just felt, you know, just not ready. That evening I got up, I spoke and I made an offer at the end. And I didn't realize at the time it was an irresistible offer. And at the end of the presentation, out of the 137 people, 125 of them gave me their personal details to follow up. And I followed up and I ended up signing 12 full-time coaching clients when I was doing one-on-one at the time from there. So I stacked my entire coaching business and three days later, I'm standing on the hotel stairs of after doing a coaching session and a director from HP calls me and says, Colin, I saw you speak at the event the other day. I loved it. Could you come and speak at our next global training day? And that ended up having five and a half thousand people. That was my first paid speaking event. And what was crazy was that the revelation I had was that literally in one event, in one speaking engagement, in one presentation, my entire life changed. 
and it's evolved from there and so forth. But that was the big revelation that I had. Nice. So I pressed pause. Okay. So are you like me? I guess we could all relate to that first time we're invited to speak, or even if we haven't spoken, we'd be absolutely petrified of it. And the more people that that are there, the more we'd be scared of it. So we can all relate to that initial situation. Having been through that baptism of fire and then succeeded and gone on, then obviously you're in a good position to lead someone else who's approaching that situation. And is there a path that I can follow? Yes, you now offer that process for other people. So I I think that's a great story. Mm. The question I had relates to this somewhat. I've got lots and lots of stories similar to that. Mm. I have a story inventory, right? I, I rack them away in my brain. I've got yes. incredible stories from, and look, over 966 episodes, my audience have heard a lot of them, but not all of them. There's plenty of stories I've never, ever told. And also it'd be ridiculous to presume that every listener's listened to every episode. I know there's maybe five or six people who tell me they've listened to all my episodes, which is pretty dedicated and hardcore and I appreciate it very much. (laughs) But I do retell some stories often. I've had a lot of feedback from my audience. They love when I share my stories, right? Mm. Initially, I didn't used to share many stories because I was pretty much a robot. I would just get to the point deliver the punchline, mm. tell them the facts. So my early versions of the podcast, which was internet marketing speed yeah. before I renamed it the second last time, it was very dry and super tactical and no fluff, no filler, short episodes. Even the, the name of episode one, if you go back in the archives, this is ridiculously to the point. It's like copywriting with John Carlton, <laughs> it's like, to give you an idea. So I was never talking about my stories, it was always about the guests uh, and, and so forth. So over time, I've dialed in more and more of the stories. And I know for a fact, it helps people resonate. A lot of them say that they relate to what I was saying, that they've felt like that too, because I think it's actually easy to lose touch with your audience as you progress. And what I have seen with some of the people I coach or have coached in particular some of them got a bit big for their boots, so they just turned into some sort of, uh, they, they became more likely to fob off a phone call, like just not show up because they became more and more important. They became more and more inaccessible by their clients. And I think they lost touch with their own origin story. The, the people who they could help are now not relating to them because they've become too special or too important. For me, taking up that hobby of surfing smacked me in the face with humility and beginner's mind again. It made me reconnect with my audience and understand the the strain and challenges. To remember what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night in like a nightmare of having a job or I have to go a long way back to remember when I would put a credit card across the shopping till and wonder if it's going to clear, right? But that Mm. is a reality for people and the stress and anxiety that they have. You know, I believe with work less, make more. I've created an antidote and a way forward, in particular leverage. And, you know, in case in point, I'm bringing on a guest who's a specialist in something I don't really do much in the way of, or I don't do public webinars. And I've Mm. said no to speaking gigs lately. So I feel like I'm past that point in my stage, just because I've got such a mature podcast. Mm. I've got clients who just don't leave. So I hardly need to add any more, which is great. And I've got nine partners, which are phenomenal and they're like lifetime deals, like they're 10-year mm. term deals. Mm. So I'm not looking to always fill the bucket, which is great, low pressure. I do do a lot of Zooms now with my clients. I do ask me anything. I do one-to-one coaching calls still with my legacy clients. 
with my partners. And I do a weekly group call, which is my most dynamic, thriving, best group. This weekly group, they love it. I love it. We're all on Zoom. That's where I still tell a lot of stories, but I tell them to teach. Mm. I tell the story of something that happened to me. And I think it actually says, you know what? I was just like you. This is what happened. If you apply the same lesson that I learned, I can lead you through this now with my advice. So it's kind of like answering a question with a story is a common thing that I'll do. In terms of the path they follow, you're right. Before you said, I've got frameworks, checklists, playbooks, whatever. I give them the breakdown. Like this is the checklist of things you need to be aware of. Mm. So I really like your story. It does date you though. Two things that stand out. One is you had a landline. (laughs) Yes. And two is, Back then, obviously, phone books were thick enough to prop up a table. I'd like, I don't know if they even deliver phone books. I think they still deliver phone books, but they're so thin you could, you know, could forgive thinking it's a pamphlet or something. <laughs> so true. I mean, stories are just great because the sto- what you're talking about here, like you've got this stack of stories. Yes. And stories are great because I think they're really good when you get the balance right of vulnerability and credibility. And so what I mean by that is, you know, if you tell a story of where you were struggling with something for a bit and then you made a, you had a breakthrough, it has a beautiful balance of vulnerability to credibility. And when you do that, it creates an attractability to you. I want to talk about that balance because, yeah, okay, there's some things that really, this is, this is, it's great to have an expert on this topic to grill about it because, uh, but a nice grilling, like soft good grilling, not bad grilling. Yeah, yeah, go for it. One of my previous guests, Chris Haddad, he's known as an emotional storytelling copywriter. And he said, you should tell the stories that absolutely petrify you to tell, like that scare you to tell, like that's how vulnerable you can get. Now there's that point of view and I appreciate it. And I absolutely have some stories that I have not told and I never really anticipate telling like that are so dark and deep that firstly, in line with this sort of idea of um, the courage to be disliked, the philosophy there, the Adlerian philosophy is don't keep bringing trauma back into your life, right? Mm. There have been things that I've been through that I don't really need to bring back into the current. I don't want to put the spotlight on them. I'll let them go. Mm. And so that's part of the philosophy around it. But what I get on a pretty much a daily basis, right, I get podcast pitches. And pitch after pitch after pitch is the same old vomit-worthy crappy bullshit about this guy was broke or in prison or in jail or crashed four companies in a row and now he's found the answer and he wants to come on your show and sell his shit. like i just spam delete these now i'm sick of them but it's such a boring story and i don't want to learn from an ex-bankrupt jail convict drug meth dealing or whatever like that doesn't appeal to me and i don't want to put them in front of my audience am i wrong well, I mean, potentially it's not something that you're resonating with. I think there will be people who resonate with it. Americans seem to. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a once I was lost, now I'm found line. Is a- what I do know is that the principle stays true. Yes. The principle of that you have to get the balance right of credibility and vulnerability to create a magnetism, an attractability in your story. So in this case, they're overcooking the fail to the point where I don't think it's redeemable. Yes. So what can happen is if people are too much on the fail, it potentially 
if you don't know the if you haven't heard the full story and and their transformation and you, you haven't felt their energy and all this sort of stuff you can write them off and so some people if they just become drama on stage like a lot of the time well i know what it is they're not like me i just can't relate to it yeah you know they're just not like me they're so far from me i was always a little bit challenged because i felt like i didn't have that I didn't go through bankruptcy or jail or addiction or whatever before I found success. So I've got a more boring story in a way. Like I've done well and then gone better, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was doing it right and now I'm, now I'm doing awesome. I'll give you an example. Like last week I was hanging out with a friend of mine. He's a, yeah. he's a really good business guy. I met him at a Google conference mm. years ago, like over a decade ago. We've remained friends and uh, we went for a surf together. He kind of... I don't know, he kind of booked himself in to come up and have a surf with me and talk business, which I want to do the surf, but I couldn't care less about talking about business, right? Because mm. I just want to surf. But anyway, we're taking the surfboards out of the car and he's going, you know, you and I, we've done well, you know, we've had the big ups, we've had the big downs, but all in all, we've done well. And I said, well, hang on a minute. I haven't had the big downs. Like there's been no point in my entire time online where I've had a big dip mm. because I'm strong with the strategy. I'm, mm. I'm able to, to manage change. I understand trends and how they're going to impact things before people realize what's happening. I've got multiple pillars of income. I spread my risk. I don't have redundancy in any one area. Like That's by design. Mm. This guy's chosen a very spiky business model. In, by comparison to me, he's yeah. chosen more paid traffic things that can get shut down. He's chosen industry segments, for example, like cryptocurrency would be one example, or travel industry that they are far more prone to ups and downs than I am. So that really struck me. Mm. I've not ever had that, the, you know, was broke on a park bench story mm. that you hear mm. so often. Is it over commoditized? Well, I think. Like even for you, James, it doesn't have to be the broke on a park bench or bankrupt or, you know, in jail. It could literally be, I mean, my story is just, I was just starting out. I was just new. That's a way better story. We, we all started. I can right. relate to that. I Exactly. When you were telling your story, I did what we all do and I placed myself in your story because we're all selfish. Uh, but that is exactly the purpose of a conversion story. And that's why I wanted to highlight it. Yeah. I wanted to highlight that if your audience are placing themselves in the story- because that's what they will automatically do. Don't take it so far that they can no longer place themselves in the story. Mm. And that's what's happening yeah. with these pictures. Mm. Yes. They're like, you're way past that part of the story where I could relate to. They're trying to draw the extremes too much and kind of stand out, but it's really just kind of ostracizing them out of your story. They're not in my story, that's for sure. Like, and, mm. you know, like, and just on that, because I'm – I care a lot about who I have on this show, right? Mm. I say no to just about everybody. And if someone is on the show, that should mean something to my audience. I think they already know that just because that person is there, they've already passed a minimum level of filters for me. Mm. You know, I'll go and research the person's work. I Google their reputation. I'll ask people who know them if this person's any good or not. And if I don't know that, I'll always declare that on the show. Like I'll say, I've just met this person. We've, <laughs> we've never had any discussion. And then they'll know, okay, you, you can't uh, accept them into the safe, guaranteed checklist yes, thing. But into the fold. But part of what I do on this show is I have the same people over and over and over and over again, like 10, mm. 12 times. Mm. And we get to know them over time. And a lot of them are my partners. And I wouldn't go into partnership with someone unless I have a strong, deep level of trust. So that means we do skip a lot of the origin story because 
if the purpose of the origin story was just to establish if this person can be trusted to lead me, mm-hmm. then that's already a tick in the box. So it's a very interesting situation we've had here. I imagine if you're dealing with cold audiences yes. and you're running paid traffic, you're going to have to do a lot of work in those first mm. phases. Mm. And I think, well, the mistake that most people make is they'll either lean too heavy on the credibility. So they'll, because they're trying to prove to the audience, like maybe they're a cold audience for a lot of people. They're trying to prove to the audience that, hey, I know, I know what I'm talking about. And that's usually because they're still learning to trust themselves that they know what they're talking about as well. Ooh. And that's okay. But sometimes it's not. <laughs> like I got an email yesterday. From, well, it's, it's off-putting. It is off-putting as a listener. I got the email yesterday from yeah. someone who's wanting a coach. They have just come into the market. They're helping people with lead gen, you know, lead demand generation and traffic and conversions and stuff, but they have no traffic conversions or customers and they want a coach to help them. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Have you tried doing your specialty on yourself first before yeah. you come and ask someone like me to wave a magical unicorn fairy wand that will automatically mm. make you see? Like, I just think there is some danger. Mm. Some people are so blind to the obvious. They really probably mm. shouldn't be putting themselves out there for those sort of things just yet. Mm, I agree. For me, I kind of break it down into three levels of that because I think a lot of people struggle with certainty around their offers. And you bring so much certainty because the level of proof that you have in your life and the level of testing you've brought to your actual methodology, whether you doubt it or not for a minute, you know that there's just this truckload of proof. And so for me, a lot of there's three levels. The first level is they've had a personal transformation. So in other words, they've been through their own process and they've got a result. Yeah. So that's a personal transformation, which is great. And a sample size of one. Exactly. <laughs> it's a sample size of one. We don't know if this has got a scale yet. Yeah, it's, okay. it's still questionable. <laughs> exactly. The second level is when they've actually spent the time to have process proof. And what I mean by that is they're clear on their process. They're clear on the structure. They've taken what they've gone through and built unconsciously and made it extremely conscious and clear. And so at least they know how to talk about what they do as opposed to just, I've been through it and it's awesome. Well, I think you're describing a scenario there where a lot of successful people are not good teachers because they don't really know what they're actually doing or they haven't distilled it. And I think there's some people who are way better than others at engineering their processes and frameworks and there, you know, there's a good example. You and I know plenty of those people. They're really mm, good at what totally. they do and they're really good at documenting it and being able to teach it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a skill you can learn. Yes, you can. Like anyone can learn that. You know, if you're struggling with that, you can learn that. And that is, I mean, the conversion story is just that. Like it's a process that I have gone through personally and documented and then tested it, which is the third phase. The third phase is, do you have social proof? And so that is, is this actually replicatable and scalable with other people? And are we getting a statistically sound level of results with the group of people that we're seeing? And usually what I recommend for people to do is, you know, they'll do like a beta version of their offer. That is like you roll up, you roll up your freaking sleeves and you work your ass off for your clients, you know, not like, Oh, I don't know if I can handle too many clients. And it's like, no, you do like low price, work your ass off, actually deliver results. And then when you combine the three together of the personal transformation, the process proof, and then the social proof, that's when you start to get offer certainty. And then you just keep building that as you go through the years. 
I love that. I mean, maybe from now on, I'll convince you to change the name of that. <laughs> I think Beta is code name for. <laughs> it's the <laughs> version of something. Right, the, so the founders version. <laughs> no, I like. I, there is a name. There's a name I use. My listeners will be what, screaming, what it? screaming it at the speakers. Right. I think of TV studios and whatever when they want to test something out, they call it a pilot. Ah, yeah. So they put a pilot episode and then the studio runs it and then they see the reaction and then they decide if they want to commit to a full-scale production. And I like the word pilot because everyone on the pilot knows that it's a pilot. There's an impetus on making it work and succeed, but there's also the possibility that it may not go beyond the pilot. And I think that's a reasonable expectation Mm. to set for the person delivering and also the person receiving. I love that. I've never heard someone explain the first version of that. I mean, in the US, I've never heard someone use the word pilot. I've never heard someone use the word pilot before. So I love that, dude. Yeah. Lots of my clients, they do, they'll do a pilot program. Like if someone wants to start a group coaching program, they might run a pilot program for three months. And then at the end of three months or close to the end, they can decide if that's something they'd like to continue to do, put it into full scale production or stop it. In some cases they're like, oh, I don't like doing this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, It's how my coaching started. I piloted it just to see what happens. Yeah. And even in uh, nautical terms, a pilot boat you know, helps the big tanker out through the harbour without bashing the sides of the harbour or the boat. Mm. So it's a lovely term. Other things relating to what you just said, I'm going to share a couple of techniques that have helped me and then I'm going to sort of ask you for some more depth on your story formula for conversions. Yeah. One is in the beginning, when someone sent me something nice, an email or whatever, I would always screenshot it and I just had uh, automation on my Apple device that would take the screenshot and put it into a Dropbox folder. And I've got screenshots for the last whatever, how many years. So if I ever got a moment of self-doubt or there was any kind of troll or whatever, I could always go and look at my screenshots and just, it's just for me. It's just a personal self-esteem bank. You're talking about your client testimonials, right? Like the results that people have got. Pretty much, but it's the private things people say when they're not doing an American style pop vox testimonial. I don't like those ones. You know, if you ever have your brand on the back screen and lots of videos of people saying lovely things about all the stuff they're going to do, Mm. just put it in the bin. That's useless. Don't care about Mm. the stuff the customer's going to do. I don't care how hyped they are at your event. That's meaningless. Mm. Tell me what they've done. Mm. Show me what they've done. Get that story out there. So you get the the DM of like, dude, I just like used that system and we just created, you know, this result. Exactly. Screenshot. Dude, I freaking love that stuff. Screenshot. It goes in my little bank. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying publish the screenshots. You absolutely, if you intend to do that, you need to get permission to do that. Yeah. That, that's a, a lot of people do this with Facebook comments and stuff. Do not mm. do that unless you ask the person. Another system I've used to fast track it is by combining a net promoter score. When we have a nice replies, the system we use, if we get a 10, that person will be, usually be like, hey, would you like to share about that on my podcast? So I'll have a case study machine off the back of it. So we're automatically ticking the boxes of, yes, the results are, are proven. You can't, this person is able to generate these kind of results. I think one of the litmus tests for a, a product or service is somewhere in the sales process, if they could say, listen, speak to one of my customers, speak to some of my customers about how I've been helping them and, and whatever they say, I'll go by that. That is the score that I'll be judged by not my impression of how well I think I'm helping people, but what do they say? Because <laughs> if, if you can generate that, then you're good enough to go to market mm. and be bold with it for sure. Mm. 
And I think, I know for me, you know, it's taken years to really feel confident and congruent with asking people to invest in themselves. It really has. I like how you said that. That's such a distinction that most people don't really understand. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, when I'm presenting an offer, an offer is not me asking for money. An offer is me asking the audience if they align with what the offer will create. And it's asking them to enter a place of full commitment to themselves. And the money is just one of the currencies of that commitment. There's many currencies. There's money, there's time, there's effort, there's confidentiality, there's energy, there's intention. Like there's so many currencies in the offer. But when they enter that offer, I protect the offer. Like if someone's a douchebag in that offer, they're, they're out. Like I, it's a sacred place for me. And so when I'm presenting an offer to an audience, I'm not saying I want your money. I'm saying I've created a space that holds a sacred place of transformation. If you're after this outcome, I've created this space for you. And to enter this space, there is commitment that's required. And that is money, time, effort, confidentiality, all the things. Do you want to enter? I like that. I like being clear on filters. It goes against the trend of, hey, if you buy this and for whatever reason, even for no reason, you can get a full refund, you know, and they're just trying to get the sales. I don't like that that way of selling. Mm. It provides unresourceful customers a huge crutch <laughs> where they can place blame on anything but themselves, which is really where the main differentiator of someone's success will be providing because I know someone's already tweeting right right now, providing you offer something with integrity and it's good. A hundred percent. There's some shitty salespeople who sell stuff and then will let the customer blame themselves when it was the customer was never going to succeed in the first place. I hate that too. Mm. So if you have integrity, if you've mm. built yourself up to the point where you've got a bank of customers who would swear by the results they've gotten and you feel good about what you're doing, then you can be in a position where you help people become more responsible. And when they pay you, it's like that, you know, the slide of your kids in your house and like they don't really care for the fact that this is buying Colin's next swimming pool or that it's helping <laughs> his Tesla payment or whatever. I don't know if you drive a Tesla, I just threw that out there. Yeah. They're buying it to invest in themselves to be better off. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So let's just do this. This will be the most helpful part, hopefully, for someone because everything up to now has been really good. If I've got an established product, I'm really good at what I do. I've sent out an email and I've got a bunch of prospects who have committed to come along to hear me talk to them next week on a live presentation online, what is my process to build that presentation? Because that's where we're at for a lot of my audience. Mm, do we have four hours? Well, that's okay. <laughs> but if, if, we, if we had to build the presentation and jump out of the plane with a parachute before it hits the ground, what is the, what's the 464? Yeah. What 4% of yeah. things would you know, absolutely must be there? Absolutely. Okay. So for me, first of all, you have to start with the offer. So the offer is the outcome. And so you always start with the offer and you build back. And that's, that's if you're going to make an offer, right? And you should, probably should make an offer, right? Yeah. At least like a next step yeah. of, hey, do you want to book a phone call? Do you want to do a strategy session? Like it doesn't have to be a direct, what I call it, I call it a sharp sell. So there's three types of presentations. There's a sharp sell, which is direct to offer. There is a soft sell, which is like a book a call or a download a PDF. And then there's a no sell, which is a classic keynote uh, because I teach selling on stage. Well, in, in even in my paid community where someone's already paid to be there and I'm delivering their fulfillment, like I'm delivering their content, 
I still acknowledge them for coming, appreciate them for being a member and I look forward to catching up with them on the next training. Mm. That will be like the softest of cells, but it's me making sure that, you know, remind them that a great way that they can continue to be better off is to continue being a member because I'm in a subscription world. Beautiful. So it's like the open loop of like, what's the next step? So in terms of, so first of all, you start with the offer. And then for me, there's four big elements of every presentation. The first element is you have to work out how do I touch their hearts right at the start? And so that is your story. We talked about your conversion story. If people want to find out more, they can go to your link. Your story is a big part of it if it's done really well. There's also this idea of how do you show them that what you're about to talk about is really relevant and important right now. So it's not like, you know, nice to know. It's necessary to know right now. And really that you understand them. I think most people get a presentation wrong because they think that it's about them presenting content. But it's first of all, it's showing to the audience that you get them, that with integrity, you deeply understand them. And that's why I think if sales is done well, it's actually a very integrate, very beautiful process because you deeply understand your audience. You're doing a good thing for them because you can actually meet a need. And if they're the right fit and then in they're, in, they're in the right position and ready to commit the right season of their life, it can transform their world. I know it has for me. I wouldn't be living in America if it wasn't for programs that I joined. I, dead set would not be living in America if I didn't join programs. And you want to live in America, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just checking. <laughs> yeah, at the moment. At the moment, I do. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, <laughs> so we've been here five years now, so we're still... <laughs> we're- I'm lucky because I've landed in paradise. I've found the place in the world where I love the most. So for me, like yeah. anything else seems less appealing. Yeah. Well, I'm in Newport Beach, which is a beautiful spot. It's a really beautiful place. And so I definitely picked a good spot. It's expensive, but I mean, Australia is expensive anyway. So (laughs) uh, people complain about taxes and stuff here. And I'm like, it's more expensive in Sydney than it is living here. So anyway. Sydney is the most expensive city in the world on the latest um, data that I saw. It's always up there with Paris, London, whatever. I now live in Queensland, but it's it's just... We'll keep it a secret though. I think I would choose Queensland if I came back. Yeah, just between you and me, we'll keep it a secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. But but um, yeah, I mean, we always had it on our heart to come to America, so we did the leap. But it's been great. Like the opportunities we've had has been mind-blowing. And so the first part t- is you touch people's touch hearts. Now, hearts. I mean, there's like there's nine steps for that, but I'm not going to go through like all the nine steps. That's well, okay. We'll, we'll put a link, jamesshramko.com forward slash story formula. Yes. So you can learn more about Colin's stuff. And you would expect it. I don't know if it's on that page or, or after there will be an offer where you can go deeper, mm. but you've already heard yeah. Colin's philosophy around that. And I believe Colin, you seem quite sincere about how you operate in that space. I like, I really like that. It's, is this what they mean when they say heart centered? Are you a heart-centered <laughs> that's entrepreneur? So funny, that's so funny. I, n- I never use that language in you my You wouldn't copy, describe yourself as... But I definitely attract a lot of that, I yeah. would say. Um, nice. And it's actually, I attract, there's a lot of women in my program. <laughs> like I sometimes joke and say it, it could be called the sisterhood. And I actually, I've attracted some very big influences who I've coached. Yeah. And I think it's because the way I pitch is not aggressive it's not like bro marketing yeah and i i know exactly what you're talking about i've got lots of women in my program as well who Mm -hmm. they've actually i'm somewhere in the middle like goldilocks right they're definitely not attracted to the bro marketing and all the aggressive sales and i'm not either but also in the in the very women-centric worlds there's a little bit of 
you know, emotion and cattiness and clicks that they want to move away from too. They like a centered mm. sort of in the middle, somewhere nice. in the middle sweet spot approach. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, so the first part like talking about is really just touching people's hearts. That's the first part. The second part is shifting their minds. And so what most people do is they try to teach people's minds. So, which is, remember we talked about a mistake if they go to their course and then they pull the content, they're like, what's awesome in my course? Let's put it in. But the goal of the presentation is to actually prepare people to commit to themselves. And so it's not about just teaching content. Sure, you should teach them helpful content. Absolutely. But you have to keep in mind this idea of you have to shift the beliefs and the resistances that people have to commit to themselves and commit to the next level in order for them to actually say yes to the offer on the next level, on the next thing. And that's actually valuable in itself. Oh my God. I mean, I couldn't be more resonating with that. On Monday this week, I had a coaching call. It was the first onboarding diagnostic for an annual member of my intensive program. Yeah. And I do this, like we do a pre-diagnostic that I prepare and I look through. But there's a comment in there that really struck out to me and it was it was relating to self-confidence and in sort of buried deep feelings of not being good enough or whatever. We spent three quarters of the call, me deconstructing the historical belief system and rebuilding it. And then the last part of the call on a, a few first tactics to try and then so that we could come back and more. But I think it would be it would have been a huge mistake to go tactical or fully strategic mm. because anything we would have done would have been hampered by the entrepreneur's ability to navigate his own business and his own life. Is that, he's sitting there with a handbrake on. Huge breakthrough. You know. In fact, yeah. I'll go so far as to say my hypothesis is that that one call will be a life changer hmm. because the prior interaction that I had with this individual was many years ago and I did a metaphor back then with this person in real life and a, a demonstrate. I can't say what it is because it's too easy to pick who it is hmm. uh, and I want to protect their privacy, but it had a dramatic impact to the point where they're basically, in, this is the next phase of the journey now, but hmm. it's all about that person. And I know that I put about a, hmm. a quarter of what I do normally is on that person. But I'm really pleased to hear you say this because you're backing up what I've always known to be true, that the business or the entrepreneur in a small business like us, we're tiny businesses, micro mm. businesses, yes, is really only going to be good to the extent that the founder can get on that mind train. Absolutely. And a lot of what most people think the good selling is, is that, oh, it's about just presenting desire, creating desire for the offer. Or yes, it's part of that. But 50% of it is also taking the handbrake off is removing the resistances. And in fact, most people are ready to run as soon as you remove the resistances. And so that work you did with that client, that new client, I mean, they're probably excited already to move forward, but they couldn't because they had the resistances. Well, I had to catch up today. It's like, yeah, it's like the freight train is unleashed. It's just like oh. on a tear. And it's like, it's so exciting for me to see that. Yeah. That's how I get joy from what I do. Yeah. To witness that and to be a part of it is it's just great. It's just being a good human. And mm. so for my definition of selling is simply helping people be better off, right? Mm. <laughs> then that's, that's okay. It's this person absolutely should be in that program and needed to be there and uh, will get profound mm. outcomes from that decision to come on. Mm, beautiful. And so just for the listeners to go back to what we were saying, I said, you got to shift their minds, which yep. is what we were talking about then. Then you've got to equip their hands. Now, You've got to be careful with this one. What most people do is they do too much equipping of hands and they actually lose the sale. And it actually does the listener a disservice because 
if you give them too many things to do, they're not going to do them anyway because they're not committed. And so it's like that whole thing of, I mean, James, you've probably had your brain picked 250,000 times in your life. There's another expression I hate. Right. Can I pick your brain? It's like, oh, great. Oh, yeah. Just get out a knife and just cut me open now. I can stick the fork in. It's such a horrific expression. It's like that expression, oh, there's enough room around here to swing a cat. Like, are you the kind of person who swings cats by the tail? Or when someone says to me, oh, there's more than one way to skin a cat, like, holy crap, not only have you skinned a cat, you've done it more than once. And you're using that metaphor. (laughs) This is outrageous. Um, So we have to be careful the words we use. But yes, people have uh, definitely sidled up to me and and wanted to glean knowledge from me Mm. on many occasions. Yeah. And so what I recommend is you teach content that creates decisions. And I mean, that's a whole nother 30 minutes. Well, I I get it. And thanks to Caroline Plunkett, you know, back in the early 90s when she was my boss. And uh, I'd say, hey, Caroline, what's the dealer code for Boyd Ed Lakemba? And she'd she'd say, it's in the drawer, look it up. I'm like, but you know the code. You could just tell me. She goes, I could tell you, but you'll keep asking me the code. But if you know where to look it up, you'll never ask me again. (laughs) And I'm like, Damn. So good. So it's like I hated that at the time, but it was such a valuable lesson. And as a coach, it's pretty tempting sometimes to Mm. just drop the answer in front of someone. Mm. However, I might make them earn the answer and they'll learn how to think, which is Mm. the most incredible skill. And I do this with my team too. My team Mm. know how to think because we've learned how to think and not just to regurgitate, copy, repeat, you know, or um, shortcut things. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And then the final step is moving their feet. And that, that is the pitch, right? That's transitioning to the pitch and actually making the offer, whether it's a direct sell, a sharp sell, or whether it's a next step or a book a call or something like that. So for me, but you start with the offer. You start with the offer and then you build back and you touch their hearts, you shift their minds, you equip their hands and you move their feet. That's like the general overarching flow of what I go through. I like that and I appreciate it so much. I've got a very specific question. I told a client of mine, I would ask you this because I've been looking forward to our call. Hmm. He gives away this whole sort of treasure trove of stuff. So he runs paid traffic to a treasure trove of all these downloads. That's probably gigabytes worth of stuff. And then he has a lot Hmm. of trouble later on the back end trying to sell them into the membership. And I felt there was an issue with that. And I'm curious to know what you think about that. (laughs) Given the the equip their hands, I think he's equipped a small village for the next decade. It's it's the picking the brain thing. It is someone comes to you and says, can I pick your brain? They spend two hours with you. You buy the coffee, right? They don't buy the coffee. Oh man, yeah, just never, I say no. I've found an easy out. (laughs) So you buy the coffee. Two months later, you catch up with them. Oh, how'd you go with the stuff? I like, I gave you everything. They're like, oh, I just haven't had a chance to do anything yet. I mean, that that's my answer is that they just haven't had a chance to do anything. Where it stopped for me was, you know, and I'm, I'm a generous person, right? Where it stopped for me was one day when I was down there putting aside my life, gearing someone with massive intel and buying them the coffee. I missed out on <laughs> totally. my surf. I missed out on my surf and that, that crossed the line. Man, you don't cross that line. Oh, that'll never happen again. <laughs> it doesn't happen again. It, now it'll be like, Colin, I'm more than happy to answer a couple of questions, but if we were to go down to the coffee shop and I buy you a coffee or whatever, what is it that you would actually want me to help you with? Mm. And you'd tell me and then I'd answer it and then we're done. So <laughs> we're good. We just shortcut the totally. whole thing. Then you get the surf and you don't have to pay for the coffee. I just, I don't want to miss the surf. And I'm, mm. I, and 
it's really been the greatest thing, the greatest blessing to have that in my life to guide mm. the filters and structures. It's when I'm on this search for finding more and more leverage in a way that doesn't mm. seem difficult for other people or whatever, but once you get your routines and your systems and your core filter, it works. So start with your offer, touch their hearts, shift their mind, equip hands, move their feet. I love this. Of course, we'll put the link up there, jamesramco.com forward slash story formula. Colin Boyd, this has been episode 966. Uh, I appreciate getting to know you better because I've, I mean, I've observed your dancing videos. We've had a little bit of private chat back and forth. I know you're also a surfer, so you, mm. that puts you in in a rare elite. What advice would you have for someone who's listened this far to this episode, apart from renaming their beta program pilot? <laughs> so good. It would be to stop picking people's brains and <laughs> uh, just to commit to yourself on the next level. I know for me, anything that's happened in my life has always been through a courageous decision. And there's probably something that they've been thinking about that they're scared of doing. And when it comes down to it, it it's back. I mean, being an entrepreneur is backing yourself. It is being willing to back yourself. And so whether that's you working out what your core story is going to be so that you can share it on your next Facebook live, you've been scared to do that or whatever that next scary thing is. Like, I just think that's usually the path forward. And so that's my encouragement for them. And, and I've got to say to you, James, I know you're a legend in the uh, online space and I've been watching your stuff for years and, and it's just a privilege to be on the podcast. Well, thanks, Colin. That's really nice of you to say that. Of course, it never feels like that to me. I'm just me. <laughs> so you know, just, just chatting to, to uh, interesting people. Uh, so we'll put this one up there, jamesramco.com. If you enjoyed this episode or you think it's useful for someone, if you know someone who's doing a presentation or about to do a presentation, then make sure you put them in touch with Colin because uh, I feel like he's really good at this. Uh, I've seen who he's been working with. And just even from this episode, we've had enough of a glimpse at, uh, that he really knows what he's talking about. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. This is James Schramko.